Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning into this edition of Stand Up For The Truth. We appreciate you, and we just want to encourage you today. Um, we've been talking so much in the last several weeks about what's happening in our country, in our culture, um, and we do want to in for, reinforce the fact that we've got a mighty God that we can put our faith and trust in. Um, we, we serve the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth. We serve a living God known as the one true God. And he is sovereign over all this. He is well aware of what's happening in the country and uh, around the world. And he is using this to draw all manners. Many will come to him, will draw men to himself. As Jesus said, one of the prophecies, I, if I be lifted up, meaning when I am lifted up on the cross during his crucifixion, I will draw men to myself. So that's what we see this time as doing. We see, um, as we mentioned last week, there are more Google searches for prayer and God and pestilence and diseases and all these things. Is this part of prophecy? Is this end times? Well, we are living in the church age, the last days. Uh, is it How close is it to the end? Well, this pandemic, particular pandemic, uh, many theologians, and I would agree with those who would say this is one of the birth pains. In other words, there is, they're going to be more frequent and they're going to become more intense. Birth pangs or birth pains. So Jesus said, I believe in Matthew 24, he said, the beginning of. <laughs> so we've got a ways to go, but use this time to share the truth of Jesus Christ. It's Easter week on top of everything else. Resurrection season, of course, it's, it's a all year round. In season and out of season, preach the word because the resurrection is true and Jesus is Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us another opportunity to uh, come to you and try to see the world and everything that's happening in our lives through the lens of Scripture. Help us to cultivate an eternal perspective, Lord. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Help us, God, understand the times. Even before this pandemic began, you were still on the throne. You were in control. And we needed to repent and come to you even before all this happened. Lord, you were moving on people's hearts. You're uh, trying to get through to the hardest hearts, and nobody is too far from your reach, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We know that you are always at work in the realm of the Spirit, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would encourage the hearts of those who need it right now. Give them hope. And Lord, help us to reach out and get out of our comfort zones and to love our neighbors. But however that would apply to us in our daily lives. We thank you for this time. We lift up this hour to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Got a great email the other day from my friend Tony Garule of Radical Truth. He's been on this podcast many times, and I just want to share something that he wrote, and it's part encouragement, part personal testimony. It, he called it the Gospel versus Coronavirus. In the midst of the coronavirus crisis, God is at work as usual. It's important to remember that this is not surprising to God, nor did it catch him off guard. In fact, because he is sovereign, there are only two possibilities here, just like when everything else happens in the universe. Number one, God is causing it to happen. Or number two, he is allowing it to happen. Either way, our response as Christians should be asking ourselves, 
how can God use me for his glory at this time? Are you praying for divine appointments so that he can use you to share the gospel with people as well as demonstrating the love of Christ? I have found that in times like this, people are more open to the gospel than during, quote, regular times of the year. It's times like these which cause people to take a much-needed pause and contemplate their own mortality and what happens after they die. If you have non-Christian family, friends, neighbors, be sure to use this opportunity to share the gospel with them. This can easily take place when we're doing nice things for them to show the love of Christ. However, in addition to demonstrating the love of Christ and sharing the gospel with people who you know, don't neglect the many opportunities to do the same when it comes to people you don't know. Case in point, when I was recently at a store, I saw an elderly woman who was in line behind me. She had a few items and set them down to count her money. She was laying out the bills and quite a few coins in order to count every penny, making sure she had enough. It was at that time I thought to myself, buy her groceries for her. A moment later, I told her, "Uh, go ahead, get in line in front of me. She thanked me and started to walk in front, so I told her, keep your money. I'll buy these items for you. I wasn't sure if she took me seriously or not, but as soon as the cashier began ringing up her items, I told him, I'll pay for her stuff and then this stuff too, while pointing to mine. As soon as he finished ringing up her items, I told her, Go ahead and take your stuff. I'll pay for it. She was very thankful, and when she was about to walk away, I handed her a gospel tract, a million-dollar bill gospel tract, and told her to be sure to read the back of it. She promised that she would, thanked me again, and left the store. I then paid for everything, her stuff and mine, and left the store as well. Now, here's the lesson. If I'd only done a nice thing, bought her stuff, If I'd only bought her groceries for her, then I wouldn't have shared the gospel because being nice is not the gospel. It's what we're called to do. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to do good things. We're called to good works. But that's not the gospel. After all, an atheist could have bought her stuff to be nice. And someone from any other religion or cult could have bought her groceries, but the gospel would not have been shared. Also, I could have just given her a gospel tract out of concern for her salvation. However, being nice, or in other words, showing the love of Christ, made the gospel tract that much more impactful because I just didn't meet her temporal need of food, but I met her eternal need of how to receive forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. My encouragement to you is do the same. When you do a nice, loving thing for someone, share the love of God. Share the gospel along with it. Otherwise, you're just doing a nice thing and helping someone, and they might get the coronavirus. They might get into a car accident. They might get some other disease and never hear the truth of how they can be saved. One compliments the other and makes the other that much more impactful. More importantly, don't conflate the two, because if all we do is love people but never share the gospel with them, we're making this world a better place to go to hell from. Love God and love people enough to tell them the truth. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. In the midst of this crisis and all others, God is more than ready to use you and me for his glory. So go be salt and light. Ask God to use you for his glory and be prepared for divine appointments to come your way. I thought that was excellent. That's why I shared it with you. It's from a friend, Tony Garule. And... um, it's, you know, sometimes we, we, we think that we can just be nice and set a good example and uh, people will be saved. And I don't think that's really our intention. How? Let's reason together. How 
Could they be saved? How could people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ if they just look at your life and go, boy, that's a man of or a woman of character, of integrity, of humility. That's a good person. You know what the majority of the world believes. They're a good person. They're good people. Everyone is a good person. Unless you're a mass murderer, then you're not a good person, right? So understand, um, we need to do both. It's, it's not a matter of just doing nice things. And it's not a matter of just preaching from a box top or going out on the street and shouting through a megaphone at the gospel um, in whatever way you, you have heard it done or choose to do it. It is both. Loving our neighbor is sharing the truth, the gospel, and taking action and meeting any other need that they might, ha- it might have. Hopefully I'm not preaching to the choir too much. And just a reminder to us during this season where God is using so much, <laughs> so many things. I mean, just think about the number of pastors, preachers, religious leaders, their wives, brothers, cousins, nephews, and you know, distant relatives to go online and do some sort of video and get whatever they're selling, whatever message they are, particularly you know, if you're a pastor, of course, or a religious leader, you're going to be sharing a teaching. But God is using this time to get the message of truth out there. So that's an encouragement for us that there are more ways than just sitting on the Internet and trying to reach people that way. I mean, I don't know about you, but I maybe because of all the busyness and distractions we have in this life, I have um, developed a low tolerance for um, or maybe a low attention span for what's online and, and videos and messages and everything else. Personally, I don't have notifications from on my phone or on, in my email, my computer, email, messaging, uh, when someone posts on my wall. I don't have notifications because I don't want to get a ding or a buzz every other minute of my day. That's just me personally. Um, people that know me, my, my family, my church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my closest friends, they know how to get a hold of me. My mom. <laughs> so I don't need a notification on my phone every time someone says something or has a comment or half-baked idea. But it's interesting. So what can you and I do in all of this information we have coming at us? Now, I've seen some very good videos. I've seen some pastors just sitting in their living room or in their study, uh, their den, whatever. They're they're showing a, a little background of their bookshelf or wherever they're reading the Bible, having their quiet time, and they're sharing some thoughts. That's I think that's awesome. I think it's great that we have the technology to do that. But I also think um, we have to be selective in how often we do it and how many times and regardless of what other people are doing. But I tell you, I'm, I'm amazed that the internet uh, didn't, didn't break <laughs> this past Sunday morning when uh, all those pastors, the older uh, religious leaders, pastors, and reverends that weren't doing it in the past month, they finally learned how to get a video camera and put it up and have someone do it for them. I can think of a couple I've seen that, uh, you know, the quality's not good. The room is dark. You couldn't, you could barely see their faces, but they're trying to get out there and use this time to get the message to the people uh, via the internet. So there are some very good things happening. And we talked to a bunch about a bunch of them yesterday. One thing before I forget, I again want to plug tomorrow's podcast with actor, uh, author, and homeschool advocate Sam Sorbo wife of Kevin Sorbo. She'll be on. She's an amazing uh, teacher, a homeschool advocate. She's part of this Texas homeschooling organization that launched an emergency home education lesson plan. And the website is called coronavirushomeschooling.com. We're going to talk about what's going on with her tomorrow, but I really want to give it to you every day this week. uh, Coronavirushomeschooling.com, spelled all out. You sign up for free daily lesson plans, and you can join the community in the Facebook group. Um, so you can check that out. So a lot of good things happening. And I hope, I really hope, that a lot of families who are using this time to teach their children at home, which, in my opinion, that's where they are taught and educated, um, not necessarily what they get at the government-run anti-Christian public schools. And I 
I've said those very strong words. Some people tuning in for the first time to this podcast going, what? <laughs> no, my parents were in education 30 plus years. Both my mom, my dad, my sister taught, uh, my uncle, you know, um, I have a family of educators and they do not or would not, some of them have gone on to be with the Lord, they would not recognize the uh, United States Department of Education or the public school system today. It is so far beyond what kids should be learning. This is commentary. This is my opinion. You are welcome to have your opinions, but they're wrong. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Everybody's welcome to their opinion. By the way, email comments at standupforthetruth.com. Comments at standupforthetruth.com. I appreciate you guys. You know I'm very passionate about a handful of things. First of all, well, the gospel, but the fight for life and, you know, education in America. They have stolen our youth. I just um, heard someone talk about an interview they saw with, um, do you remember Bill Ayers? He was part of the weather underground in the 60s and and maybe 70s, but he was a strong supporter of Barack Obama, and when Barack Obama was senator, he went over his house, and they kind of hung out. They were both anti-American. Bill Ayers, I think, was part of uh, the—was it um, Democrats for a Socialist Society or something like that? Um, But anyway, part of the weather underground. So he was blowing up bombs at different places, police headquarters, a different— places in the country, and um, they thought that that is how to take down the major institutions and have this progressive country and turn it into a socialist country. But they quickly realized, Bill Ayers and his ilk, they quickly realized that wasn't going to work in a, a nation as great as the United States. So what they did was change their tactics. Here's what they did. They said, we are going to recruit and educate Marxists, progressives, and socialists to become college professors and teachers in the education system in America, high school teachers, junior high. We are going to recruit these people. And if you go to the Ivy League colleges or most universities in America today, you know, I'm not making this up, that between 80 and 90% of college professors are not only liberal, but they're Hard left, progressive. What does that mean? Well, they're against Christianity, the Judeo-Christian principles that we believe in, the Bible and truth coming from God and teaching you know things like creation, intelligent design. They are progressive. They want a socialist nation. They are, a, they are pro-abortion. Go on down the list. And these are the ones they put in place, but the plan was in place in the 1950s and 1960s. So it's a fascinating. You can go find information on Bill Ayers and hear the interviews, hear it in his own words. They have been successful. In, and I know I, don't, I got on this tangent here. I don't even know what I, was, what I started talking about. But they have been successful. The edu- oh, the homeschooling. So my point is I hope and pray that for Christian moms and dads listening right now, for Christian families, that you would reconsider whether it's in a month or two or whether it's in the fall, I pray that you would reconsider sending your kids back to the government schools and let them teach your kids when you have the opportunity. It is the parent's responsibility. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, they taught their kids. When they got up in the morning, they talked about the word. They talked about the laws of God. When they ate, when they're at the table, when they got up, when they lied down, it, you know, it just talks about how important it is to instruct your children. They're not going to get that from the world. They're not going to get that from politics. They're not going to get that from the media. They're not going to get that from the entertainment system, the entertainment industry. So there, I've said my piece again. And if there's anybody still listening, uh, when, when, you, when we come back from break, we will continue. Uh, God willing, we are going to connect with Patrick Wood today of uh, technocracy news and we've got a whole lot more other articles to talk about and more about china and technology when we come back on stand up for the truth your monthly financial support of standupforthetruth.com is needed and appreciated now back to today's stand up for the truth with david fiorazzo all right thank you guys for uh, staying with us <laughs> um i've got an article here that says A court said Google and YouTube can censor conservative content during the 2020 election. 
You read that or you heard that right. I had to double check. Did I read that right? Yes. So a court says, yeah, Google and YouTube, it's up to you. If um, you, you know, you may have trouble finding conservative content on certain places uh, on the Internet, uh, especially during spring and summer months leading up to an election. They're getting very good at, you know, siphoning. What are that? What do you call when they um, censor certain things and only allow you to see certain things? Um, because a three judge panel of the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals uh, ruled that YouTube, owned by Google, by the way, they can censor any content it doesn't like. I, yes, if this is true, this is what the court decided. They're allowed to do that. This means uh, if YouTube can do it, certainly Google can do the same thing, and they've done it with search results for decades. Why? Because it's a private forum and therefore not bound by the First Amendment guarantee of freedom of speech. You might be familiar with Prager University, Dennis Prager. They put out educational videos, these really short, informative videos. Um, it's a nonprofit organization. It creates uh, videos on political, economic, philosophical topics. They filed a lawsuit against YouTube, accusing it of um, ideologically driven discrimination after some of its videos were blocked or restricted for mature audiences when... It's just amazing. They, they don't need to do that, but they did. But the court dismissed the lawsuit, noting that YouTube is a private forum, therefore it doesn't have to publish conservative content. It doesn't have to publish things that it disagrees with. Isn't that amazing? So you'll maybe see this story from other news outlets. Now, uh, I'll be doing an a article and video for uh, Freedom Project Media, which I do every week. Some of you follow me. Thank you for sharing those. Um, I Here's something we talked about, I think, yesterday, um, maybe Friday, here on Stand Up For The Truth on the podcast, that the fact that people just really, really hate Christians now, and they're being vocal about it. And here's the situation when it comes to coronavirus and people helping, people serving. A lot of churches are mobilizing. We're doing a lot of good things, a lot in the body of Christ. A lot of people are going out of their way. I mean, even today, someone... Uh, was it yesterday? Someone from uh, the station here was going to put out thank you, big letters in front of uh, hospitals to thank the medical staff and nurses and doctors. Now, I don't care what your religion is, your profession, your politics, or proclivities. When I need a doctor, when I'm sick, when I need surgery, when I need any kind of health care, I just want the very best people available, hopefully covered by insurance. But th here's a story I'm, I'm going to do a little later on. Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse are helping New Yorkers. I don't know if you heard, they put up a 64-bed hospital in Central Park staffed by 60 to 70 medical professionals to care for patients that are battling COVID-19. Now, LGBT groups have suggested that because Samaritan's Purse is a Christian organization, their volunteers will turn away gays and lesbians infected with the virus, leaving them on their own to find care elsewhere. This is actually unbelievable. But before we go on, before we go on to the next topic, NBC News ran with this headline. Ready? Group behind Central Park's COVID-19 field hospital run by anti-gay evangelist. NBC News. So anyway, this is so sad. And Samaritan's Perks does wonderful work. They have never, never discriminated against anyone. They've helped so many around the world, not just in the United States. Oh, Lord, this nation and this world, eh? All right, let's move on now. We're going to talk about technocracy news and trends. Our guest, economic and market forecaster, speaker, author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation, also the author of Technocracy, the Hard Road to World Order. We want to welcome back to the podcast, Patrick Wood. Hello, Patrick. Hey, thank you for being patient with me today. I just had a little bit of a mix-up, but I'm really glad we're able to talk now. Well, I'm glad you were able to squeeze in two interviews in the same hour. <laughs> I did it. It's the Lord. <laughs> uh, praise God. Well, basically, we, we have a lot to catch up on because we haven't talked to you in a while, but... Um, there are a couple, several articles I was looking on your website. I really, really want to talk about the latest one in particular, and that is called um, The Common Roots of Climate Change and COVID-19 Hysteria. 
And I don't care if we just slowly walk through this article, Patrick, or if you just want to start by giving us your thoughts. I do want to talk about China. I do want to talk about maybe going back to the beginning of this and how how does technology, how does technocracy play into this COVID-19 panic and hysteria? Yes, you're, you're absolutely it does. And uh, let's uh, make the distinction real quickly here right at the beginning that there is really a virus. I, we, I don't doubt that whatsoever. I know yes. people are getting sick and I know it's bad. I don't want it for sure. And uh, I would take reasonable precautions not to get it. But then I do that every year during flu season. You know, I just I'm very careful about where I go and, you know, the, being sanitized and so on. But the very minute that the uh, the virus was identified in China as being a problem and just an issue, uh, statisticians went to work on computer models to uh, do, you know, predict what would happen with the spread of the virus. And they've been doing this with all the different viruses we've heard about in recent years, uh, whether it be MERS or SARS or bird flu or uh, Zika or any of the others. There's been a number of them. They all start the same way. Somebody says, hey, there's something going on down there in Ethiopia or whatever. Boom, let's go study it. And they try and make a computer model. Well, what if it gets out of hand? Where's it going to go? How will it affect the world? And so on. So this happened with the uh, COVID-19 virus. And the university or the college that, uh, that first really started to plow into this was, a, uh, was the Imperial College in London. And <clears throat> this college is uh, quite a large college. I, I won't go into all the history of it. You can go and look on, on the internet. It's uh, easily discoverable. Imperial College <clears throat> is a uh, university-level organization. It's very tightly associated with the United Nations as far as sustainable development is concerned. They consider themselves a sustainable university. They also consider themselves to be a global university, and that, that has a new buzzword today in yes. modern vernacular. So uh, a professor there, a statistician by the name of Neil Ferguson, began to create policy, uh, well, first uh, computer models for coronavirus, and then he began to create policies on how to fight it, including everything we see today in our country, the social lockdowns and social distancing, closing schools, closing parks, that sort of thing. Well, <clears throat> this, um, this, un this university professor was the original person who blew the whistle on the, oh my gosh, we're all gonna die <laughs> mentality surrounding mm -hmm. coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And he advised policymakers in Great Britain. He said in Great Britain, they're going to lose 500,000 people. In America, he said, we're going to lose at least 1.2 million. Oh my goodness. Well, that just put a fire on, you know, underneath everybody. So, oh, my gosh, what can we do? And so everybody in the world all of a sudden is running after this guy, taking his study as if it's some kind of gospel truth, and underpinning all of their, uh, their actions, their political actions, based on this faulty computer model. Well, just a few days ago, same, same professor, Neil Ferguson, said, well, maybe in London I was a little too aggressive. Um, <laughs> maybe it's not going to be 500,000. Maybe it's only going to be 25,000. <laughs> That's a big well, change. <laughs> what is it, Neil? <laughs> is it going to be 500,000 or 25? <laughs> and then a couple of days later he said, well, now it really looks like 7,500. Oh, my goodness. It's like... And the same thing is true for the United States. Nothing he's ever, nothing this guy ever said has happened in the United States. And there, uh, you know, the statistic model here is absolutely falling apart in almost in every state. Uh, you know, all the predictions that have been made just keep getting lower and lower. Well, it doesn't look like it's quite so bad. And, and even Dr. Anthony Fauci recently said that it's basically no worse than the normal flu. Yeah, okay, guys. Now, you know, you need to step back and look at this here. Now, who's calling the shots in this whole thing? And where is all these this phony data coming from? Well, here's the deal. Imperial College is known for its climate science reports that is put out. There we the go. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Same MO, same type of computer models using faulty assumptions making wild, wild 
you know, statements about what's going to happen in the future and with it delivering all of the policy options that leaders have to mitigate the problem that they have created out of thin air. Hmm. You see where it's going? Yes. It's the same people that brought us global warming hysteria. Now they're bringing us COVID-19 hysteria. And here's the problem, I think, is the problem with the whole global warming thing. The reason they never got any traction on it, like maybe they wanted to, was that they didn't have any dead bodies to show, except for polar bears. Hmm. Now, polar bears died, they said. They didn't, actually. But they said, well, polar bears are dying, you know, and we need to stop that. They never could produce a human body because of global warming. It just doesn't happen. Now, with COVID, they have some actual bodies that are in body bags, and they say, see, we told you so. You know, people are dying now. You need to take this action now. Mm-hmm. And, the under, you know, you have to ask a uh, organization like Imperial College, what is their underlying goal? What is the social impact that they're trying to achieve? <clears throat> and as far as I can tell, the only social impact that they're trying to achieve with this great panic of 2020, I call it, is the destruction of capitalism and free enterprise. Mm. Nothing short of that, because that's what climate change is all about. Destroying our economic system, making way for the United Nations sustainable development economic system. It's just one more step, same direction. Actually, it's the same race, the same people, the same MO, just a different, you know, instead of global warming, it's, COVID-19. It's a scam, in other words. So these are all interchangeable. Sustainability, environmentalism, climate change, these are all uh, common themes that kind of interconnect? It is. And it, it, the, the greatest shame, in, in my opinion, the greatest travesty of this whole thing is that they are taking advantage of actual people who are suffering and dying. Yes. And they're politicizing it. They have no concern for the people that are actually, you know, dying and suffering. But those are the victims all of a sudden because of these people saying, well, you know, we need to radically change the world. Well, here's the thing. And and, and several people have noted this recently. I'm sure you guys are well in tune with this. If we continue to destroy our economic system, just in America, for instance, and we create another Great Depression as a result of this whole thing. How many people will suffer and die because our economic system has fallen apart Hmm. versus how many people will die if coronavirus, even if it's kind of bad beyond what it is right now? Well, I'll tell you, a lot more people will die in a depression than will die to any virus that we have. And people will be pushed out onto the street because they'll lose their homes, they'll lose their assets, they'll lose their retirement. Uh, people will lose jobs. They won't have access to health insurance and to health benefits. It probably will collapse our uh, our entire health system because nobody can pay. <laughs> you know, no, nobody's asking these questions. Mm. But the level of human suffering will be so far greater if they destroy the economic system. And this seems to be their intent. And I think you just answered the question that you open up with in this article, the common roots of climate change and COVID-19 hysteria. You say, is fighting is fighting it, meaning this virus, worth the destruction of the world's economic and financial system while disrupting the lives of hundreds of millions of people? I believe you just answered that, Patrick. And I wanted to ask you about the World Health, Health Organization because most of us, even you know, some of us that would consider ourselves informed, somewhat informed, did not know the deep ties and that what's going on within the World Health Organization, WHO, WHO. We're hearing a lot about it now uh, from the administration, from others who are writing about this in the media, but um, I've heard it's in bed with China. I've heard all these different things about WHO. Can you enlighten us a little bit more about how the World Health Organization comes into play here? Oh, absolutely. Um, A lot of people don't understand that the WHO is actually an agency, one of the largest agencies of the United Nations. Hmm. It's not just some kind of an independent thing. It belongs to the United Nations. And 
the UN is planned from the top down. They have dozens of different agencies. People usually have heard of like UNESCO and UNEP, the United Nations in the environmental, whatever it is, uh, program. Uh, but the WHO is just as much an agency as those others are. And all of these agencies are orchestrated from the top down. They're all about sustainable development and pushing the economic system that the United Nations has proposed. And so the WHO is completely in lockstep with everything the United Nations does. And the, they put the image out that, well, they're scientists, you know, and, and they're only interested in the, the purient interest of everybody on planet Earth and getting everybody well, et cetera, et cetera. That's just a fraud. They're not, you know, that is the farthest thing from their mind, uh, in my opinion. <clears throat> and one, one reason, current reason I know that is that China, just this last week, China was elevated to the Human Rights Council at the United Nations. You say, what? Hmm. China is now part of the human rights uh, wow. organization within, the, within the, the United Nations? Yeah, they're they're more than just in bed with each other. Wow. China and the um, uh, the United Nations at large are not just curious bedfellows, but they are absolutely intertwined in this whole thing. Hmm. And there's good reasons for that. Well, maybe we'll discuss that a little bit. But yes, we do have to take a break. But that's China. That's like putting a fox in the hen house or any other analogy you could. Uh, uh, put with that. But we are speaking with Patrick Wood, editor-in-chief of Technocracy News. Uh, we've got to talk a whole lot more about how this thing got going and, and uh, what is really going on with China, which I don't think a lot of people know because we know they're lying. But I want to get your take on that, Patrick, when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. The website is technocracy.news, and we are speaking with Editor-in-Chief Patrick Wood about uh, the coronavirus, about globalism, about climate change. And let's talk a little bit about China, Patrick. What can you tell us? I know you've you're probably a little bit more up to speed than some of us are. So uh, enlighten us a little bit about how deep this goes, how this started, wherever you want to take us. Well, you know, looking at where the virus started is in kind of an interesting, uh, it's almost a, you know, a rabbit trail at this point because there's so many different theories and <laughs> mm -hmm. different information that's out there. There's no doubt that it started in China. I don't think anybody questions that. This is putting the motive behind it. Why did it start in China? Was it in the lab? Was it somewhere else? Whatever. Well, it is what it is. Sometimes disasters happen, for sure. Sometimes things just do spontaneously erupt, and they have bad consequences for humans. But whatever, however, for whatever reason it came about, <clears throat> uh, the real story is the fact that the global elite jumped on the store, jumped on the event and immediately began to control the narrative on how the world would be impacted socially because of their narrative that they have created all around this whole thing. And so it's grown beyond the facts. It's grown way beyond what the reality of it is and a whole new kind of a universe of, of uh, you know, myths have been floated on why people should change the world. Uh, one good example, I think, again, is all of the stimulus spending that's going on right now mm -hmm. all around the world, not just mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Everybody's throwing money at the wind right now, trying to conquer the economic chaos. But you'll notice as you look around these different countries, where's the money being spent? Is it being spent on restoring the current economic system or... Is it being spent on Green New Deal type of initiatives? And lo and behold, you'll find the stimulus money, by and large, is going to Green New Deal type of programs. And if people don't know what Green New Deal is, that's something you can easily discover on the Internet as well. But it was brought forth in America by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yes. represented from New York who basically said that America needed to be reconstructed from the bottom up. And she said, probably going to cost about $13 trillion. <laughs> That's all that just changed. 
and that we needed to retrofit all of the buildings in America, and some of them needed to be torn down and rebuilt, and, you know, we need to have all this alternative energy with get rid of evil fossil fuels and have uh, energy that can be controlled through the smart grid, you know, that sort of thing. This whole Green New Deal stuff is pure, 100% unadulterated, sustainable development Mm -hmm. from the United Nations. Right. This is where the stimulus money is going to be spent, a lot of it. So it's not to reconstruct, it's not to support the old economic system that we've known for thousands of years, but for the new one, which has never been demonstrated to work, I might add. Mm-hmm. I, as an economist's background, I have to say, in my opinion, as an economist, it will never, ever work just can't possibly work. So how do they sell it, though, to get it into these stimulus uh, plans, these bills that are supposed to help people right now that are unemployed, without jobs, businesses that have that need the money or, or to go to the citizens or help the coronavirus? How do they slip all? I know it's politics, but how, how do they get away with that? How do they justify these kinds of things in these bills? Well, when you talk about jobs to people, and this is public perception, when you talk about jobs, people understand J-O-B-S, jobs. Yes, we need a job. But when they say the words green jobs, people don't make the distinction. Now, wait a minute. Is a green job the same as the old job that I used to have or that I used to know? Or is this some new buzzword you know, for something else? And so green jobs are equated the same as any other job. And this, you you watch people like Nancy Pelosi now is pushing for another bill and an infrastructure bill, by the way, for two trips. You watch how she talks and what she says and how the people around her frame Mm -hmm. their narrative. They will be talking about green jobs. They'll be talking about, uh, you know, making the environment or making the country more sustainable. That's sustainable development. And people, for some reason, think, wow, well, I, I, we should be sustainable. You know, <laughs> Gosh, it's like, OK, well, yeah, you know, you like to think that you're going to be around for a while and that you're going to sustain for another, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. But the public does not understand what sustainable development is. It no. does not understand what the United Nations is trying to do. And it certainly does not understand technocracy no. in general or even in specific. They just don't. So where is this heading, do you see right now? I know it's just speculation at this point because we don't even know when the businesses and the economy can be opened back up but gradually. What, what, what do you think is going to happen? I know a lot of people have their thoughts, and I think you see it from a lot of different angles. You've really got some experience in the economic side and the technological side. Um, and you are very up on their push for climate change and sustainable development. What they're putting into these bills, it's it's how can the how can America sustain these bills? <laughs> I know. Well, I said for a long time that America cannot reject what it does not understand, hmm. and that's just the way it is. It, you, you'll you'll be boxing with shadows you know, forever, if you do not understand who the enemy really is. And Mm. until this, uh, until there's some more general understanding in the public about what actually is going on, there will never be a rejection of it. Could it be rejected? Yes, it was rejected. Technocracy was rejected back in the 19, late 30s, early 40s by the American people. And partly that was because the economy recovered during the, after the Great Depression because of World War II. Uh, so as capitalism kind of came back at that point, eh, people lost interest in, you know, in the whole technocracy thing. But now we're back on the ropes of kind of Great Depression thinking. Mm. And so that's bringing the technocrats out in droves to say, well, you know, we think Humpty Dumpty is going to fall off the wall. But, hey, what the heck? Let's give him a little push, should we? <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. There's a huge moral hazard here to, yeah, to shove 
Humpty off. I mean, he's going to break anyway, so it's just, just a matter of timing, right? Let's just go ahead and do it to him, and, and, and we'll just get on with business and implementing technocracy. If the American people understood what technocracy is and what they intend to do with the world's population and the world's resources, they would reject it immediately. There's no doubt in my mind. Any, any American, I don't care left, right, or whatever they are, any American understood what scientific dictatorship would ultimately bring for them personally. They would not just say, heck no. They would say double heck no. Yes. <laughs> well, I think one, one thing we need to remember and be reminded of is most people who are on that side of the hard left, the climate change activists, they are, if you're, in other words, if you're worshiping the planet or elevating the earth and you want to, this Green New Deal, I mean, people are less important. So the natural progression of that is population control and regulation that affects our lives and takes away our freedoms. That's right. You know, there was another British uh, professor uh, about a month or a couple months ago that wrote a book. She's actually a legitimate professor at some university over there. I forget which one it is right now. She wrote a book saying that the way to solve the planet's problems, you know, all the problems on the earth, is to allow the human race to go extinct. Now, wow. I remember that. To, I remember that. Yeah. Have to think about this. Okay. I mean, yeah, she's, she's a nut, but, uh, you know, hey, she's a professor. She has influence and people listen to her. People are buying her book. <laughs> like people like that belong to uh, Extinction Rebellion. They love, they love this woman. So, how can somebody stand up and say the way to solve the Earth's problem is to let the human race go extinct? You see, there's an anti-human, mm -hmm. literally, there's an anti-human bent to all of this. Wow. And as a, as a Christian, it shouldn't take too long before you can answer the question, well, who else do you know that's anti-human in the universe? Well, it's not, it wouldn't be God. God's not anti-human. He's pro-human. Who else would that be that has an anti, you know, that's anti-human and would like to see the human race go extinct? Hmm. Only the devil. Yeah. It's only the one that started out in the garden and say, did God really say? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and so there is a huge spiritual dimension to this for those who would study the Bible and study Bible prophecy, there's a huge spiritual dimension to this. And we see it being worked out with the things like what we're talking about today. It yes. really is anti-human. How can it be pro-human to destroy the economic system of our planet? That's not pro-human. That's anti-human. Mm -hmm. And we understand, those of us who have been paying attention to all this, we know why they want to destroy um, our system, our economic system, capitalism. Um, Patrick Fork, you were just speaking to Christians about the fact that uh, we need to understand what's going on, but we have two minutes left. Could you bring us back to that perspective of what is within our power? I know prayer is, but what is within our power to do knowing this agenda is going on and it will continue, and um, America, whatever's going to happen to America, whatever the media is going to do, what they're going to do, and what can we as Christians do during this time? Well, effective prayer depends, in my opinion, depends on a proper biblical worldview. Mm. And a person can read the Bible and understand, uh, you know, deep, some of the deep truths in Scripture and have a great relationship with, with the Lord, etc. But in order to have a biblical worldview, you have to also have a proper understanding of the world system and what's going on. And that's what we're talking about here. Yes. Uh, many Christians are floundering today in despair. Some of them really disillusioned hmm. because even though they had a good knowledge of Scripture, nothing that's happening in the world fits anything that they believe and they understand. And so they're, they're well, maybe my view of the Bible is wrong. Well, that's not really the case. It's just their view of what's going on in the world is naive. Hmm. And they're following after, you know, like the mainstream media and other people controlling the narrative and not looking through with spiritual eyes to what's really going on. 
Good point. And having a biblical worldview, a balanced biblical worldview, I think is extremely important for Christians today to understand where we are, where we're headed, how we got here, and what is our role in this. And people are desperately seeking answers, as you know. Yes. Everywhere I look, they are. Mm-hmm. Christians should be the one that have the answers. Yes. In fact, I think the Bible says that, actually, that we <laughs> should always be ready to give an answer to those who ask for the hope that lies within us. <laughs> Big amen, brother. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to wrap it up. We talked. We started this podcast today talking about the, the importance of doing nice things, loving our neighbors, but sharing the gospel while we're doing that. And for you to wrap it up and say we need to be ready because so many more people are looking for answers out of desperation or just curiosity. But during this time, it makes us question our mortality and think about other things. So as Christians, we need to use this opportunity. Patrick Wood of Technocracy News. We've got his book link up, uh, Technocracy, the Hard Road to World Order, and the article. We'll link that up in the podcast notes today as well, The Common Roots of Climate Change and COVID-19 Hysteria. God bless you, brother. We've got to do this uh, much sooner than uh, we did last time. (laughs) Thanks for coming on with us today. You're welcome, my friend. Anytime. All right. Good Good to know. Uh, Patrick Wood. We will have uh, some information on uh, the guests the rest of this week when we come back. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited tomorrow to uh, have Sam Sorbo, uh, author, actress, wife of Kevin Sorbo. They are so instrumental in doing things in Hollywood and the entertainment industry for that Christians and conservatives can appreciate. And um, she is part of a homeschooling movement. And the website, I'm going to keep giving it to you probably for the next couple of weeks, coronavirushomeschooling.com. Moms and dads, check that out. So tomorrow, Sam Sorbo, um, Kathy Barnett, a first-time guest on Thursday. Her book is called Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain, and uh, nothing to lose. And, and uh, it's about being black and conservative in America. Uh, she's running for uh, office in Pennsylvania. We'll talk to Kathy Barnett. She's also a busy mom, one of those active moms. And Friday, Dr. Andy Woods on Good Friday. Um, we'll be talking, of course, about uh, what happened in the garden and what happened in Jesus' suffering and the cross and whatever Dr. Woods, at whatever angle he wants to go. I love his teachings. There's so many people that you can get. Be careful who you watch and pay attention to on the Internet, YouTube, when you take in, when you have more time these days, maybe to take in sermons and teachings. And um, so, anyway, looking forward to the guests the rest of this week. Um, Well, that's it. We're out of time. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.